You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. Welcome to this mini episode of the Dr. Tina Show. On this episode, I'm going solo, and I'm going to give you my take on why I believe the real pandemic in the world, and especially the United States, is metabolic syndrome and metabolic dysfunction. This pandemic will not end until this is properly addressed, in my opinion, as this virus is now endemic, meaning it's never going away, folks. As always, if you have any questions for the show, please email us at podcast at drtina.com. That's drtyna.com. And if you like this show, please rate, review, and subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app. I'm glad you're here. Let's jump in. Back when this pandemic started, I made a statement in a video that went viral. And what I said was, this virus has not seen North America yet. And in today's episode, I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. So metabolic syndrome, what is it? It is pre-diabetes. It is a condition that millions and millions and millions of Americans are walking around with, unbeknownst to most of them, where they are walking around, we can call it phase one diabetes, if you will. They are walking around in a pre-diabetic state. We know diabetes is a massive problem in this country. We know that at least 10% of America has diabetes, the bulk of those being in the older age groups. And I'll get to that in a moment. Those are diagnosed and what they suppose are undiagnosed. I am going to gander that that number is actually much higher. 10%, all right? About 34 million people, according to the um, latest 2020 document that I pulled off the CDC that I will link in the show notes, which is the National Diabetes Statistics Report 2020, Estimates of Diabetes and Its Burden in the United States. And what this document shares is that we have got a pretty big problem on our hands. We've got 34.2 million people of all ages or 10.5% of the population has diabetes. Now, for reference, 0.2% of the population has died from COVID, 02 all right. So a big, you can see <laughs> there's a big difference here. 34.1 million adults age 18 or older, or 13% of all U.S. adults has diabetes. 7.3 million adults aged 18 or older who met laboratory criteria for diabetes were not aware of or did not report having diabetes. This number represents 2.8% of all U.S. adults and 21.4% of all U.S. adults with diabetes. So we've got a lot of people who are unaware that they are diabetic. The percentage of adults with diabetes increased with age, reaching 26.8 among those age 65 or older. So you can see that the bulk of the diabetics in this country are older, uh, are 65 and older. That happens to be the exact same group who's dying at the highest rates from COVID or SARS-CoV-2. The percentages, the breakdown of this uh, is predominantly in the black non-Hispanic group. Next is the Asian non-Hispanic group, followed by the Hispanic population, and last, the white non-Hispanic. That could be due to discrepancies in um, resources. It could be due to systemic racism. It could be due to a lot of things. I will just tell you as a physician that People of ethnicity do not do well on the standard American diet. Whenever the standard American diet has been introduced into different countries to different people of different ethnicities, it hits them ridiculously harder than it does Caucasians. Okay, so let's put race, racism aside and let's just talk about for just a second 
that eating foods closest to your ethnic background is actually in some circles considered the healthiest way to go. Now, granted, we've got black people coming from originally from Africa a long time ago. So yes, there could be an argument made against what I just said, for sure, for sure. But I just want people to understand that like when you talk about Pacific Islanders or Native Americans, they do not do well with the white man's food or the standard American diet. And in fact, Weston Price was a dentist who went around the world in the 1930s. And he noticed when the Western diet was introduced into his societies that they had significant changes in their palate, in their dentition, in their overall health, in their bone structure. He wrote a book about it called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. They knew this way back in the 30s. So my argument is simply that the standard American diet is corrupting uh, people of all ethnicities, and it's particularly hurting people um, who are not of Caucasian descent. I don't know if we're more adapted to it as Caucasian folks. I, I, I'm saying we as in myself, I am a Caucasian woman, but there's definitely something there. So we do have discrepancies in in different races and ethnicities and backgrounds. As far as gender goes, uh, men are more diabetic than women. And we are definitely seeing diabetes in children. I've been talking a lot about this on my Instagram channel the entire year. I've tried to make a case for this repeatedly. Early on in the pandemic, I talked about how metabolic syndrome, which is really just a continuation, uh, diabetes is a, is a continuation on the same spectrum as metabolic syndrome. So it goes metabolic syndrome, really metabolic dysfunction into metabolic syndrome into diabetes. A 2019 study, which I'll also link, showed that only... 12% of Americans, U.S. adult Americans, were metabolically sound. So 88% of this country is dealing with some kind of met metabolic dysfunction or prediabetes or frank diabetes. And of that group, according to this national diabetes statistic document, roughly 89% of those people are overweight or obese. So being overweight or obese definitely makes you more prone to metabolic dysfunction. And a huge percentage of the diabetics in this country, virtually all of them, are indeed overweight and or obese. The bulk of people ending up in the ICU. Now, I, I was getting reports of this from doctors in the ICU and nurses in the ICU from all over the world, right on the front lines. I was getting a front row view of that when this pandemic was going down. I I just want to say this, I was getting information in real time because I was one of the few humans on the planet standing up against the fear narrative that was being projected all over the place. And I was trying to instill some facts. I kept thinking common sense would prevail. I kept thinking, well, they'll figure this out. I mean, this is all because of metabolic syndrome. And I'll explain why in a moment that the person who has metabolic syndrome is more prone to poor outcomes with this virus. But I kept thinking common sense would prevail, and I kept getting reports from different healthcare practitioners from all over the world, particularly the US, telling me that easily the majority, almost 100% of the people who were dying, ending up on ventilators, ultimately landing in some level of kidney dysfunction, to be truthful, um, and then dying because of the whole way that they're ventilated, and then ultimately dying, were obese and diabetic, period. And then the the studies were coming out of China early on, really early on. The studies out of China were showing that obese and diabetic folks were were the ones getting hit the hardest by COVID. Now, when you're when you are of a more petite uh, race or ethnicity stature, meaning like the naturally quite lean uh, in stature Asian community, 
having visceral fat, this really comes down to visceral fat, you guys, having visceral fat, which is the fat that surrounds the organs that lies underneath the stomach muscle, and it is very, very inflammatory, having that kind of fat on a otherwise a leaner stature is actually more dangerous. And particularly in different ethnic groups where they tend to be, you know, quote unquote, on the leaner side, they don't pack on as much subcutaneous fat just naturally. Visceral fat's actually even more dangerous to them. So we have to consider and put aside our preconceived notions and say, well, the Chinese who were dying didn't look obese. Maybe not, but they had visceral fat and they were, and the ones who were obese were having a harder time. This episode of the Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my store at store.drtina.com. My personal favorite way to optimize my metabolism, aside from the obvious lifestyle interventions that I constantly double down on, like strength training, sleep, stress reduction, and a mostly meat-based diet, is with the following two bestsellers in my line. The Metabolism Combo, as I call it, of Carb Blunt and Metaboflex. Carb Blunt features a favorite herb of mine, berberine, which has been used clinically for a long time for supporting healthy blood glucose levels, as well as a branded ingredient called NC2. NC2 is wildcrafted from brown seaweed and has been shown in a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial to statistically and significantly improve markers for glycemic health compared to placebo, who were exposed to the same diet and physical activity program. Metaboflex is a science-based strategy for positively impacting leptin levels. Leptin is a fat-derived hormone that is elevated in some individuals struggling with weight along with joint issues. Healthy leptin activity helps balance energy intake and expenditure by influencing appetite, food cravings, and metabolism. Leptin also impacts joint comfort and function. The main ingredient in Metaboflex has been shown in a double-blind, randomized, controlled study in overweight adults with joint discomfort to significantly reduce joint synovial and serum levels of cytokines, as well as significant improvements in joint comfort along with improved blood lipid profiles and weight loss. While I can't make specific health claims, tell you how to dose them, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. I did have to give both products a chance to take effect. Listeners of The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off this favorite combo by using the code METABOLISM10 over inside my store at www.store.drtina.com. Again, head to store.drtina.com, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and use the code METABOLISM10 for 10% off when you buy these both together as a combo. Now, fast forward, I started sharing this information out early, as did some other people like Mike Mutzel in the community, um, and we were getting a lot of pushback for it, a lot of hate and venom and pushback. And I really was confused because I was just trying to help people. I was not trying to fat shame. None of this was fat shaming. It was like, hey, guys, we have a problem on our hands. This is all reversible. This is predominantly lifestyle. Visceral fat is 100% lifestyle. And we have a problem that we can reverse. And if we can get everybody working in unison to reverse this, and we can start getting the governments to step up and actually start talking about it. And not that I'm for mandates, but like, hey, let's talk about getting rid of fast food and soda pop and, you know, big, big food, if you will, big processed food, we can turn the ship around. If we don't, we're never going to get out of this. 
and I'll explain why in a few minutes. I got met with so much pushback, I couldn't believe it. And even particularly in my own community of naturopathic physicians who are, that is our whole jam is to teach people how to be healthier and how to reverse lifestyle-induced disease processes, which most disease processes are. If you go to the CDC and you look at who is most vulnerable for dying of COVID, you'll see things like heart disease and kidney disease and liver disease. 99.9% .9 of those cases are due to obesity and or lifestyle-induced. So we're talking about these chronic comorbidities, which you know 90-some percent of the people who have died of COVID and this is straight from the CDC, had two to three more com com comorbidities. <laughs> Can't get the word out. Those comorbidities are most often than not due to lifestyle. And it's a chicken and egg, right? I'm not just saying like, oh, obese people automatically get these conditions. No, 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 no. I'm saying lifestyle induces these conditions and obesity is part of the package. It's part of the picture. And remember, subcutaneous fat is not as inflammatory or dangerous as the visceral fat is. In fact, frailty and visceral fat are bigger indicators of death or you know uh, chances of death increased rates of mortality with covid than say subcutaneous fat but going back to metabolic syndrome that's kind of where it all starts why is the person with metabolic dysfunction more at risk because they're the metabolic dysfunction itself has at its root a blood sugar dysregulation. It's a glucose, insulin, blood sugar problem. And I could get into detail on this, but it's actually, that's easier to draw out than it is to speak out. The bottom line is, is this type of dysfunction going on in the body creates a, a tremendous amount of confusion in the immune system. And so the immune system does not orchestrate correctly. It does not respond correctly and it does not activate when it needs to correctly. Secondly, this kind of blood sugar dysregulation and metabolic dysfunction at its root causes you to accumulate more visceral fat. That, that visceral fat in combination with this immune orchestration disruption that I just described creates a severe inflammatory response in the patient. So the bottom line is COVID becomes dangerous around day 10 to 14, if your body has not cleared it by then, if your first wave of your immune system hasn't kicked in to do its job and it's been evaded for a multitude of reasons, go back and listen to the other podcast where we've touched on this in, in pieces. It When it finally does wake up, when it finally does come online, it goes, oh shit, and it explodes in a cytokine storm. Guess where those cytokines are manufactured predominantly? In your visceral fat. So having visceral fat, having a belly, that's the simplest way to say this. Having a belly put basically that belly is a cytokine factory. It's, it acts as an, its own endocrine or hormonal organ, and it actually helps produce these pro-inflammatory cytokines. The other thing that happens with metabolic dysfunction, whether it's early on in the metabolic syndrome or whether it's later in frank diabetes, and by the way, frank diabetes is just a magical number. When you finally hit it, you've been rocking that metabolic dysfunction for at least a decade, and all of a sudden you hit the magic 120 on your fasting blood glucose, and the doctor says, you have diabetes. In the meantime, your liver's been getting fatty, your immune system's been getting jacked up, you've been having changes in your cardiovascular system because bottom line to make this like grossly simplified, overly simplified, you sugar up your cells and you sugar up your insides of your vessels. And that sugaring oxidizes like caramel and it promotes inflammation. 
right? And then you're creating this sort of cytokine bomb factory inside your visceral fat. And so you're just basically waiting there, sitting there waiting for something to come along that causes this massive inflammatory response, which is exactly what COVID does. COVID loves to hit you in your weak spots. And a lot of people are rocking inflammation due to this metabolic dysfunction. And again, I don't, this is a mini episode, so I'm not going to go into great detail on all of this. You can do further research yourself and you can look into this more and you can easily go to your doctor and say, hey, I want to get worked up for metabolic syndrome. Any doctor worth their weight will know how to do this. It's a basic, a couple basic labs, like having your HDL ran, having your LDL assessed, your lipids. Now, I'm not saying that LDL and HDL are necessarily bad or good. I'm telling you that they're just markers and part of this metabolic dysfunction diagnosis. Your waist circumference is actually the most sensitive and simple way to assess this. Truly, truly, if you were to just simply measure your waist, if you're a woman, I want you to find your belly button and I want you to put two finger widths above that. That's about an inch. And that should be roughly the smallest part of your waist. I want you to take that measurement with a measuring tape. If it is 31.5, And this goes for all different heights, you guys. This is irrelevant of height. Across the board, if it's around 31.5 or under, you should be in the healthy range. Now, if it has gone up to, say, 35, you are actually in a markedly increased risk for cardiometabolic dysfunction and cardiometabolic problems. If you have cardiometabolic risk, you have COVID risk, period. And when I say cardio, people say, what does cardiovascular health have to do with it? What I just explained, your cardiovascular system is intimately related to your blood sugar handling and your metabolic uh, metabolism. Your metabolism and your immune system are two sides of the same coin. It all goes together, do you see? Now for men, I want you to measure basically at your belly button or the widest part of your stomach. And you want that to be 37 inches or below. If it's up to 40, you are sitting on the edge of trouble. You can argue with me all you want. In fact, people love to argue with me on social media when I post this, but these are numbers coming from a variety of different studies, and all the studies are listed on my Instagram on the post. You can find them. This is not hard. This is not something I'm making up, and this is not something I'm saying to make people feel bad. If you have increased visceral fat or a protuberant belly, you are more than likely sitting in metabolic dysfunction land which means you are at an increased risk for cardiometabolic dysfunction, which means you are at a significantly increased risk for COVID. And again, the studies have come in and come in and come in. Over the past 18 months, we have study after study after study from all over the world, large numbers, meta-analyses, on and on and on it goes, simply put in diabetes and COVID. (laughs) Put that into a Google search bar, any search bar. Put it into DuckDuckGo if you don't believe me but you will find study after study after study linking this together. All right, so what does muscle have to do with it? Because I talk a lot about strength training. There's kind of a chicken and egg thing that happens. When somebody starts on the road to metabolic dysfunction and prediabetes, if you will, they begin to exhibit atrophy in their large muscle regions. It's a weird thing, feedback thing that happens. They end up with atrophy in the thighs and the hamstrings and the gluteal muscles. When people say, oh, I got older and my butt disappeared, my butt just shrank into nothing, that's probably more likely that your belly got bigger and you are walking around on the edge of some metabolic dysfunction. When you start to lose muscle, I want you to think metabolism. You can directly impact your metabolism and your blood sugar handling and your metabolic health 
by strength training. It does a couple of things. And I'll just, again, grossly oversimplify this. For one, it adds GLUT4 receptors. You build muscle, which builds more GLUT4 receptors, meaning you get more glucose into your cells. You're you create more cells to chew up and eat up all that excess glucose that you're rocking. The second thing it does is comes in and starts to dissolve the fat in your liver. It's one of the first things it does, strength training, is actually metabolize the fat in your liver so you're not walking around with fatty liver. What does fatty liver have to do with metabolic health? Everything. Fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver is a massive pandemic at this point. And it is so normalized now that it's just brushed under the rug. People say, oh, well, you, your doctor will say, oh, you have fatty liver. And, but it's, that's really common. It's probably because they have fatty liver. You can assess this with laboratory markers, but more specifically, you can get an ultrasound of your liver. It's inexpensive. And it will tell you if you have fatty infiltrate. If you have fatty infiltrate in your liver, you are sitting in a pro-inflammatory nightmare waiting to happen. And you can indeed have that progress on to liver cirrhosis. Liver disease is a huge risk factor for dying of COVID. You also get fatty infiltrate into your muscles. That's why you have to train them. You have to strength train them. And I will do a whole other episode on why muscle is critical. But the bottom line is, is you do not want marbled muscle. You want strong, healthy, well-trained skeletal muscle. And you want as much of it as you can put on your body because it will protect you in a myriad of ways for so many reasons that I, I don't have time to get into. But it is literally the fountain of youth and it is probably the best insurance that you can that you can devote your time and money to. It is a literal suit of armor if you have good muscle mass. Now, very quickly, women, you will not get bulky. Please stop with that nonsense. You need to strength train. We were built to lift heavy things and put it down. All right. So we have got diabetes happening in young people. We have type 2 diabetes, which is lifestyle-induced, and we have or adult onset, as it used to be called. And we have type 1, which is uh, juvenile or autoimmune. I have a video on my Instagram channel at Dr. Tina that you can watch about this. The autoimmune type one is, like I said, it's autoimmune. The body has decided to build antibodies against the pancreas, which shuts down insulin production, which ultimately leads to a diabetic state. Well-managed blood sugars. I don't care if you're type one or type two or pre-metabolic, or I'm sorry, pre-diabetic with metabolic syndrome. doesn't matter. As long as your blood sugars are kept in tight control, the risk for COVID seems to be less. It's people who have wildly fluctuating blood sugars. The problem with that is COVID itself or any acute infection will induce a temporary diabetic state in the patient because when the body is under duress, it automatically starts pumping out glucose to try to fuel the cells to heal itself, right? That, that's the fuel for the cells, for all your cells is glucose. And so you will go into a temporary diabetic state. For those people out there who want, there's always a few moms who come at me on social and say, type one is different than type two, differentiate. Well, I do differentiate and you guys are not listening to the video long enough to hear it. But with that said, if you walk in with type 1 into a hospital in a severe COVID situation, you better bring your insulin with you because those people are dying too. 
So make sure you have your insulin with you because they may not have your insulin type that you use or your child's on hand at the hospital and converting somebody from one type of insulin to another is very difficult and create a lot of problems, especially when they're battling COVID. So make sure you have your insulin with you if you're insulin dependent. Now, if you're type two, the chances of you being insulin dependent are slimmer. What happens with that is it's not so much that you Uh, that your pancreas is not pumping out insulin. It's that your pancreas is pumping out too much insulin in response to too much blood sugar in the system. And so your cells are being super, super, super sugared up and the insulin's pumping out to try to get this glucose into the cell because insulin's the key really that gets the glucose into the cell to be used as fuel. And you end up with too much of everything. The cells will cleave off the receptors off the cell, and you end up swimming in insulin, which is pro-cancer and pro-grow and all kinds of problems from that if kept up for too long. And you end up with way too much glucose, which basically rusts and oxidizes inside your system. It caramelizes all over your cells. So creates a lot of inflammation and a lot of trouble. Both of those do. So uh, eventually the pancreas itself can burn out and then you can become insulin dependent. But that's only if you've had type two severely for a long time. That's very indicative of extremely poor lifestyle behaviors for the most part. All right. So that's where we're at. We have, oh, we have one more factor. As you age, as you age, you naturally have induced sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting. If you're not actively engaging in strength training as you age, you will lose a tremendous amount of muscle. As you lose muscle, you will automatically become more diabetic. If you live to be into your late 80s, I guarantee you, you will present with diabetes at some point. I have, oh, I have never seen that fail. I have had many, many geriatric patients and I don't care how healthy and fit they were. If they weren't actively lifting weights, they all ended up with some kind of diabetes or low grade. And we don't want that. So your job is to lift weights. How do you get started with lifting weights? I I'm a big proponent for hiring a coach or figuring out some way to get some kind of coaching or counseling on this so you don't hurt yourself. That is all I'll say as my disclaimer. I know some of you want to argue with me on that or tell me you don't have the resources, and I'm sorry, but if you start strength training by yourself, the chances of you getting hurt are high, and I'm telling you as somebody who's taken care of musculoskeletal complaints for most of her career, this is not something, this is not a skill set you want to try to learn on your own. It is indeed a skill set, which comes with its own inherent risk, and so as a physician, I will tell you it is my belief and uh my best advice is to hire somebody who can help you do it safely. That's all I'll say on that. Find someone who can help you do it safely. But as you age, your muscles marble, they atrophy, your bones start to get osteoporotic. It is all one big soup. Your bones, your muscles, your joints, and your metabolic health are all one big soup that go together. As you start to lose bone and start to lose muscle, you will automatically go into a pro-inflammatory, pro-diabetic state. And so this is, again, why we're seeing a lot of our elders die. And when that, regardless of what age you are, this is also why we're seeing young people dying when people say, oh, young people are dying in the U.S. That's because most young people in the U.S. are a hot mess of health. If you look around and actually run labs, I don't care what somebody looks like on the outside. I want to see their labs and I want to see how inflamed they are. I want to see how their metabolism is running. And I want to see how their liver health and kidney health are. You show me that and I will tell you how they'll do with COVID. So the goals are to keep metabolic health in check. Probably one of the simplest ways to do this is with a blood glucose monitor. You can buy a cheap one over the counter for 20 bucks. You can stick your finger. I would 
honestly ask your doctor on how to do this to best track yourself. I can give you instructions, but there's too many questions that come up. People get confused. It's really very simple. And your doctor, again, if they're worth their weight and salt, will know how to help you with this. Again, the visceral fat, the belly, the visceral fat is probably your best indication that your metabolic health is off, whether you want to track yourself with a blood glucose monitor or not. Carbohydrates are, for the most part, something I think people need to earn through strength training. And if they're eating a lot of carbohydrates and not strength training or not sprinting, then they're probably sitting on the edge of some metabolic dysfunction, especially as they age. So that's it. That is why metabolic health is so critical because of its intimate relationship with your inflammation, your intimate relationship with your muscle mass and frailty, which is a huge indicator of poor outcomes with this virus. It's intimately related to your visceral fat levels, and it's most definitely intimately related to your immune system function and orchestration for identifying and clearing and cleaning up and also your post-recovery from COVID. So why do I say that this pandemic will continue to go on and on and on and on until this metabolic syndrome situation is handled? It's because the virus does not want to kill its host. The virus just wants to jump from host to host to host. And when we have viable hosts in the population, viable meaning they are kind of sitting ducks for the virus to really take hold, if you will, that would be your metabolic syndrome person, which is the bulk of America. So if the bulk of Americans are walking around in some sort of pre-diabetic metabolic syndrome state, including children, if, if you want to get serious about this. And let me just say this. When I ran labs on patients, I ran in my over a decade in practice plus decade in addition to that I worked with my mentor, I rarely, rarely saw sound metabolic systems in patients on labs. Very rarely. The bulk of patients were walking around with some level of metabolic syndrome, even if they were just sitting on the edge. And there's a whole lot of people just sitting on the edge of it and don't know it. And it's so mild that their doctors never really come down on them to talk to them about it. And, I, and we shouldn't come down on our patients by any means, but we really need to have these very serious come to Jesus talks with our patients. And very few doctors want to have that conversation, probably because most doctors are sitting in metabolic syndrome themselves. And we don't tend to want to upset our patients. We definitely don't want to bring attention to anything that they're doing to harm themselves without realizing it, without sounding crass. And so it doesn't get brought up much. It gets dismissed. Until the virus quits having viable hosts to jump to, it's, this is never going to end. It doesn't matter if we vaccinate everybody or not. The virus is now endemic. We have scientists coming out saying that it will never go away. It will always be endemic and that it's, that means it's not going anywhere, folks. It's going to continue to mutate around the barriers we put up for it. And the metabolically unsound will be the most susceptible and will continue to be the most susceptible. So we will continue to see quote unquote healthy looking folks. And again, the reason it's jumping to younger hosts is because the bulk of the elders have either passed away or are fully vaccinated. So it has to find its next viable host. That's going to be in the unvaccinated younger group. But that doesn't mean that vaccinating the entire population is going to stop it at this point. The virus is too endemic at this point. And the vaccinated are showing high levels of breakthrough. This is not me making things up or shedding misinformation. Uh, this is being seen in studies coming out of Israel. And this is being seen in the US and Massachusetts. We have are seeing lots of breakthrough cases all over the place in highly vaccinated populations. And so 
we have a real problem on our hands in that the metabolically unsound will continue to be reservoirs and vectors for this virus, and it will continue to spread readily throughout that population. And that's a whole lot, or the bulk of the U.S. population. India is incredibly diabetic. China is incredibly diabetic. High rates of diabetes in both these countries, high rates of diabetes in Mexico and all over the world. And so we have a real worldwide problem here. I don't think it's so much the virus. I think the real worldwide pandemic is metabolic syndrome. I hope this is helpful, you guys. Please go check out my Instagram at Dr. Tina and Dr. Tina 2.0. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. There's a lot of information in there in my highlights as well as on my posts where you can read more about this and get more information as well as a tutorial on how to measure your waist and your waist to hip ratio and all the other ratios. But again, I'm just telling you straight, keeping your waist circumference in check is probably the most potent and effective thing you can do to get yourself through COVID. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.